Hey friends, I wanted to share a special invitation with you, our Nothing Is Wasted podcast community. I'm sure by now you've seen the power of stories like these in encouraging you along the way in your own difficult valley. You don't have to experience the same pain point to gain insight and healing from stories of others who have walked through painful circumstances and who have found hope. This summer, we want you to partner with us to make even more stories like this one be heard. We believe in not only the power of hearing others' journeys, but also in gathering people together to talk about their stories, as well as learn healing biblical principles in order to know what to do with our pain. It's why we created the Pain to Purpose course for individuals and groups to have a proven path to walk through their pain. I want you to hear what an impact the Pain to Purpose course and and all of our other Nothing is Wasted resources are having on my friend, Pastor Damon Howell and the church that he pastors, the Blended Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Take a listen to this. As a pastor, it's also important that I come alongside people and uh, we actually run the Pain to Purpose program here at the Blended Church. And it has been absolutely incredible to see the lives that have been touched and changed uh, through the program. We've run it multiple times and uh, I could go on for hours uh, as to the number of people who have been able to identify their pain uh work with that pain, uh, work through that pain, and come out on the other side understanding their purpose that God has for them. Isn't that incredible to hear how God can take our pain and reveal newfound purpose and bring healing? We love hearing stories like Damon's about what God is doing through Nothing Is Wasted Ministries in churches across the country and even the globe. If you're ready to be a part of this hope-giving campaign, join us by donating any amount at nothingiswasted.com slash hope, and together we can offer healing for many, hope for one. We're looking for 200 individuals who would join with us at a partnership level of $20 a month or more in this Give Hope campaign. So nothingiswasted.com slash hope. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, and I am joined once again. We're back together. We're back, Davey. I'm Aubrey, your co-host. I know it's been a while. I've been co-hosting with Eric, and you've been co-hosting with Ken, and we haven't seen each other in a while. So this is like a good, this is a grand reunion. It is a great reunion. It's so good to see you again. It's so good good to be able to do this with you again. And I'm sure, I'm sure that this is refreshing for all of our listeners. It feels like. It's like the OG Nothing Is Wasted yeah. podcast at this yeah. point, isn't it? They definitely missed us. <laughs> I mean, they like Eric and Ken, but definitely in their souls. They're like, what? where's the old, the old school? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel like we need to catch up, right? I feel like I'm like, hey, Aubrey, so how's life I been? know, What's we probably do. We need to have a cup of coffee and, and chat about <laughs> life one of these days. That sounds good. Oh, my goodness. My summer's been busy. Your summer's been busy. There's been so much that has been going on. <laughs> Yes. With all of it. And um, and I know you guys are having a, probably a really busy, hopefully a good summer. I know many of you guys are also going through some difficult mm-hmm. things this summer, probably things that you did not mm-hmm. foresee going through. You know, when you yeah. think about summer time, summer vibes, mm-hmm. you think light, airy, refreshing, but so many people are going through difficult yep. pain and grief yep. and suffering right now. 
um, even in the midst of this. And so, so we just want to be here to be hope for you in this mm. as we walk and journey with you. Yeah, that's so good. We have a we have a really powerful story to share with you today, Jesse and Ryan Wilden. Goodness. Man, man, they're, so they're out in California, and their life is kind of wild, right? Like they're they're like snow skier, camper, yeah. adventurer type people. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. you know they both like you were just talking about summer. She especially loves the sunshine and the good things of summer. But man, they have they they are a nothing as wasted. Goodness, are they family? Man, mm-hmm. right? You know my uh, interesting connection here. My late wife Amanda, her. Dad's side of the family is all from Mount Shasta. Oh. So all from that area. Um, I don't think that there was any kind of association. I don't, I don't even know if she knows that Jesse, but you know, I was on Jesse's podcast, the Molden cast yeah. a little while ago. And it, I mean, when we were having this conversation, she and I, she's just kind of puts these little tidbits in about their story. And I, at one point I'm like, wait a minute, hold on a second. What, <laughs> what did, can you tell me what you guys have just walked through? Uh, and so she tells me, you know, says, yeah, you can go follow these news stories and stuff. And, and then what they have mm-hmm. taken on as a responsibility, you know, with these kids and yeah. trying to help them through this grief. So I'm telling you, like, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want, I want her to talk about I know we're, Davey and I are kind of talking around their story because we want her to be able to share it with yes. you. But I, it's I, heavy, mm-hmm, but it it's heavy. amazing how she and her husband, have stepped into this. And so you're going to hear from both of them in this conversation. Um, If this blesses you, we want uh, for you to rate and review the podcast, Mm -hmm. go to Apple podcast. Let us know that this really was encouraging to you. Um, Subscribe on YouTube. So you don't miss uh, a moment of when we um, put out some more content that's going to be helpful and hopeful to you. And then go to nothingiswasted.com. We've got a lot of resources there to help you partner with God to take back your story. The, the, um, the man, Jesse and and Ryan, they are definitely an example of people who are partnering with God to take back their story and yes. other people's story on That's behalf right. of you know other people. So why don't you lean in and listen to my conversation right here with Jesse and Ryan Wilden? Well, Jesse and Ryan, it is so great to have you guys joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. You know, yeah, we were praying right before us. this and it occurred to me that while we're recording this, it's super early for you guys. You guys got up nice and early. Uh, man, thank you for, for doing that, for making this happen. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where, you know, who you are, where you're from. Tell us a little bit about your your life right now because you guys have a, I mean, it is a, it's a heartbreaking story that you have experienced and kind of stepped into um, and so I want to I want to dive into that because your life now is very indicative of what has taken place. But give us a little bit of the overview of the modern day. This is our life, and then we'll dive back into your story. Well, we live at the tippy top of California, and um, we have five children. Um, we're a blended family. That's part of our story. So I think what makes us unique is the age range. We have. One at the time of this recording that is 21. She's almost 22. Then we have 17-year-old, two 16-year-olds, and a five-year-old. <laughs> so um, life has a lot of different stages, but um, I think that as a family, we've gone through um, a lot of healing and deep conversations. And um, so I think that has swung us into more joy. And so there is a lot of dancing 
the kids love swing dancing with um, while playing in the <laughs> kitchen <laughs> and doing dishes. So there's just an atmosphere and a culture of like a lot of life mm. and a lot of fullness. And so it's 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 a really good life. But I do think it was birthed from the deep, beautiful things of pain. Yeah. And so. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, we were talking earlier. I think uh, we have two of these things where um, where our blending is not normal. And we were talking earlier about how people, you know, don't um, being able to relate to other people. And when we, you know, have problems or try to fix something, it's like, oh, let's go to YouTube and watch a video mm-hmm. on how to fix something, or or let's find a forum where they're talking about what we're going through. And and we didn't have that. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. look through lots of forums and, and just our situation doesn't come up a lot. Wow. Also really early. It's great. Um, I just roll out of bed looking like this. <laughs> if I were to wake up, you know, an hour earlier, I'd still look like this. So it doesn't really matter. Um, so this pretty so easy true. on my end. This is so true. I got up an hour and a half earlier than him, <laughs> wow. but I think, um, our day to day life, Ryan is, he puts in heating systems and, he is like a mechanical genius. He uh, is always fixing things around the house and helping us that way. And then I'm an author mm-hmm. and a podcaster. So I think our lives really complement each other really well. But um, yeah. yeah so. Wow. Brian, I love that you referenced this idea of like when we want to fix something or we want to learn something about something, we go to YouTube and we try to find other people who have been there, done that. I find that I'm all, all the time trying to find some kind of a a hack or a helpful hint on how I can move through whatever it is that I'm going through, whether it's like trying to build a deck on the back of my house or whether it's, you know, trying to figure out what to do with this aspect of our business. And that's so helpful, but you're right. There are so many times we find ourselves in spaces in life where we're going through something that at least it feels like nobody else, there's no way anybody else has been able to go through what we're going through right now. And true, everyone has a very unique and distinct story or elements of it. And at the same time, what I love about what we're doing here is that we're opening up this space for people who perhaps have gone through what you've gone through. And now they're going to be able to derive encouragement and hope from how you guys have walked through it. I'm amazed at even how you're, the look, the outlook that you have right now, just you said uh, something to the effect of, of, of beautiful and uh, heartbreaking or painful, right? It's like this blend of this both and that takes place. And, and that's what your life now is. It's been birthed out of this, this place of heartbreak. And yet you guys are doing something really beautiful in it. And so I'd love for you to share with us, why don't you jump back into the story and share with us what happened? And um, then we'll kind of talk through some of that. Um, so about five years ago, um, well, five and a half years ago now, we, um, we, we had decided that we were finally going to make the move after 10 years of praying to build our, our dream house. We had really wanted to move into Mount Shasta and finally, like miraculously, miraculously property became available and we decided, okay, this is the time. So in order to do that, we sold our home and we moved in with the grandparents. <laughs> we moved in with Ryan's parents. And so we actually, Ryan and I were living in the back of a garage um, we kind of built a little 300 square foot space back there. And then our two daughters at the time, who were 16 and 10, would live in the main house with grandma and grandpa. And it was just a temporary situation. While we built this house, we ran into all kinds of problems. <laughs> you know, nothing went as smoothly as planned. We were there longer than we thought. 
And just when we think we have life figured out, we think like, okay, this is what we've been planning for and dreaming for. Um, we find out, surprise, I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, I have a 10-year-old, a 16-year-old, we're living in a box Wow. And I'm pregnant, you know, wow. it's like, so now morning sickness is hitting. Um, I was trying to work a, a fitness business into life and homeschooling. And it was just kind of like, this is just the worst timing, what felt like the worst timing. Um, but what we really didn't see coming is two months later, we lost Ryan's littlest sister and her husband to a suicide homicide event. Mm. And that really just flipped everything um, on its side. Um, we had promised when their two children were born that we would care for them. And so in, in like what felt like a moment, we went from having two children to five children, not knowing how, if we'd ever recover, not, and then we're all squished in a space that was not made for that. Um, and I think I really wrestled with God's timing and with um, not even his goodness, but I was like, it was like wrestling to find his goodness. Mm -hmm. And so I think through that, you know, um, it, it was hard, you know, we had, um, his littlest sister who was named Rena and her husband, Danny, they were incredibly involved in our community. We have a really tight knit, small town community and it took everyone, you know, like by surprise and, there was so much shock and sorrow and anger. And so not only what were we dealing with um, kind of this, like, how do we tell children these things? How do we yeah. walk with wow. children in these things? But also how do we walk with each other? And then how do we, how do we like do this in front of a community that is like aching and hurting? And so we, we had no manual, just like you were talking about, kind of like we just, we had no way to know what to do. And so we learned just to walk step by step with God and with each other in that. And so it became like, it became just like everything that we didn't expect. And so it, we looked at it, we're like, okay, God, you have to be with us hour for hour. You have to like, you have to be the one with me because I, I've never felt anything like this. I've never had grief like this. They were our best friends. And I think, we didn't, there were no signs that it was coming. Jeez. Yeah. I think, um, when someone asks you if they'll watch your, if you'll watch their kids or take care of them, you mm -hmm. don't ever expect for that actually to happen. It's just kind of right. one of those, of course we will. And we thought about it and, you know, yeah. it wasn't like a flippant decision, but then when something like that actually happens and you're like, okay, you know, reality just changed what things look like just changed. You move into this, this new world of, of like, yeah, what is what is the next step? Not mm. a year down the road or six months down the road, but what is the next step tomorrow? Mm. Um, and I think, like Jesse said, that's really what we fell into was was um, trusting for daily bread mm. as opposed mm. to um, my five year plan. Jeez, yeah. How, I mean, how in the world do you even begin to sort through emotions in in that? I mean, how do you? That's uh, there's there's complication. I mean. The loss by suicide is a very complex grief, but when you when you add the component of a, a suicide homicide, and this is someone that is not only a family member of yours but also 
a very, very dear friends, right? I mean, because sometimes we can have family members that are not that close to yeah. us, right? They're not dear, but the, everything yeah. that is yeah. so, it's so wrapped up in your life and in your, I mean, how do you even begin to wrap your head around what happened? I mean, that's where so many people find themselves is a space of like the immediate aftermath and they're going, what, what just happened and how do I even find a way through any of this? What was that like for you guys? I think that, well, I mean, Mike Tyson says it best, right? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mm. face. And going through something like that is is really just getting punched in the face. And so when you start um, the process, it really is like you have, you know, the, uh, the, the, the mixed up cocktail of all the emotions that you can feel all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you start with shock, right? Mm-hmm. How could this happen? And then you work through all of those other stages, um, you know, like asking, what could have I done? You know, if I, and then you start with the if I's, mm-hmm. if I'd only been a little bit closer or only said a few more things or only been more available mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And what we found is you really have to shift out of that, um, the, the what ifs or the if I's, because you can only control what's right in front of you. And and really, that's just an illusion of control anyways. Right. Right. Um, but, but there's nothing that we could have done um, or said. You know, there was, there was lots of great conversations. You know, we didn't, we didn't um, hold back. I love you. I love yous or anything like that. So when you get to the end, you go, you go, this was a tragic, tragic thing that we had no control over and you kind of have to start taking steps from that mm-hmm. point um, because it's so easy to get lost and stuck in the, the I want to blame myself for this now. Mm-hmm. I think, I think for me, um, the anchoring thing, especially of that day was that they were good. Like I had um, faith that they both were in mm-hmm. heaven. And so I thought about, since um, and seeing other people in grief, um, because there's all kinds of grief, but I think the sudden tragic ones, and you know this, Davey, um, have a different like reckoning <laughs> that you have to come, yeah, you have to do inside yourself. And um, one of the things that I just knew instantly was that with all the things I didn't know, that I did know that mm. they were in heaven and I knew they were good. And I even knew that that was a good day for them. Like, now. And that was very, it was great to be able to, in my mind, almost set that aside. Like, they're good now. Like, I don't know how this happened, why this happened. I don't know if we will ever recover, but I know they're good. So I could set that aside. And that was such a, that was huge. That was huge, a huge comfort, like behind everything. Um, And then I think God really helped us even right away to be like, don't miss the goodness because that day, even though it was the worst day in so many ways, there was so much goodness. Um, how the police handled it, how our community handled it, the words that people said, the the beauty of how our community came around us, the beauty of like even that the, they let us into the house right away after, you know, kind of closing the crime scene, they um, they allowed us to go get their blankies and their iPad. And then I was just, I was amazed that the kids were alive. 
Mm. And I couldn't stop thanking God for that. It was kind of like, I don't understand any of this, but these are the things I know. And, and sometimes when the world is swirling suddenly, it's like, we have to go back to what we know. Mm-hmm. And I knew that heaven was real and that they had moved to another neighborhood. Mm. And I knew that he was with us. And I knew there was still goodness to find in that day. I was, I could just feel myself needing to look for it like treasure, like breath. And um, so even though the shock of that day was so great and I've never experienced anything like it, I almost feel like there's a capacity inside of us that we can only hold so much grief at a time. Right. And we can only hold so much joy at a time. Sometimes you're like, I want to soak up a moment more because it's so good. And you're like, I just, I can't do it more than I am, but I'm thankful that grief is the same way. Mm. It's like you kind of get to capacity and and you, you're you just floating on that. Mm. <laughs> and I'm thankful that, um, that God holds a lot of that for us. Mm. Mm. Man. Well, you know, and I can't, obviously it's, just an incredible miracle and blessing that these kids were safe and alive through the through the whole thing. And yet, at the same time, um, how old how old were they at the time of this? Ten and eleven. Okay, so at the same time, they're I'm, I'm assuming they experienced something that is you know even were, were they present during all of this? What I mean, what do you have? Do you understand? You know what was going on there? Yeah, they were sleeping. Okay. Um, it happened at, they think, 7 a.m. in the morning. Mm. And so uh, the oldest, who is Kieran, um, she heard the the mm. last gunshot. And so she went in and um, discovered them. Oh, my goodness. And she called um, Ryan's mom first, which is where we were living. Um, and, and then um, we heard the phone ring through. And she, the his mom Pam asked her to call nine one one. So after she called nine one one, they had her at, get her little brother, and she really carried that burden. And she got him out of the house, wow. even though there was no danger at that time. They didn't know. And uh, so out in the cold of the morning, they the October morning yeah. is pretty chilly here in Mount Shasta. Um, so without shoes, without anything, they. They um, went and waited. They waited for the police to get there. And she kept her brother safe. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to connect you with a free resource that I know will be helpful in your pain to purpose journey. It's our free seven day devotional that you can sign up for right now. With this devotional, you'll get seven daily devotions that I wrote We'll deliver them directly to your inbox each morning for seven days. These are adapted from our Pain to Purpose 42-day devotional and are full of daily scripture readings, questions to reflect upon, and prayer prompts to help you focus your heart. If you're looking for some encouragement in whatever you're facing, this is it. And listen, the best part about it, it's completely free. All you have to do is go to devo.nothingiswasted.com. Again, that's D-E-V-O.nothingiswasted.com. Dot com to sign up for this seven-day devotional. Now, I don't know your story, but what I do know is that God isn't done with it. Whether you've endured a recent loss, a divorce, an unexpected diagnosis, or some other painful reality, God wants to give you hope when it seems like all hope is lost. 
Let's take seven days together to find that hope in whatever you're walking through. Sign up today at devo.nothingiswasted.com. It's a smaller, tight-knit group of people who have gone through something like this, this this traumatic or witnessed or walked into something that's it's just horrific of people that you love. And so I just, I mean, my breath is taken away right now with what she had to experience walking into that. I, I know that when we talk about kids, especially on a public forum like this, we want to be really sensitive because you know, they're in our care and our protection and our guardianship. <clears throat> as, as to the degree that you feel comfortable, walk us through a little bit about, uh, you know, walk us through maybe for the benefit of others who are trying to figure this out with their kids, um, kids who maybe have experienced something really traumatic or folks who are fostering or adopting and they uh, bringing kids into their home who have experienced something traumatic. Uh, what What did you guys do from the outset? I mean, how... How has that journey been? I know that's a just an absolutely loaded question. I'm sure, um, but can you can you just share with us a little bit? You know, the very beginning, what was your approach? You guys are wrestling through grief yourself. You're trying to make sense of all of this. You're feeling like your world's just been turned upside down, and and yet you're also bringing into your care these two kids whose world whose world has been completely shattered. And you're trying to somehow put some pieces back together while you're putting the pieces back together of your own sense of um, peace in all of this. Talk to me about what what that was like. What was your approach with with these kids? I think you know the first the first steps are always like you know waking up early in the morning and and stumbling around trying to find the light switch, and so. Mm -hmm. It, a lot of it is just by feel at first. It's it's you can't really see you can't see the path, um, and so pulling them close, making sure that they knew that with all of our power and our strength that they were safe. Um, you know, and we mm. only we only hold a small portion of of that, but but it, as it as it related to us that they were safe um, and that they were cared for and, and going to be protected and, and looked after, um, I think was probably the, the very first step. Um, and then after that, we kind of moved into bigger picture things. Yeah, I think um, that first day, it, was, it really was, you know, half, like a half hour at a time. Um, when they came home, um, let's see, when they came home, it they just went to the couch and um, watched TV. And mm. so it was like giving them, they didn't have shoes. We gave the, you know, we got them warm, yeah. We you know, and there was just not a lot to do. They were kind of, they needed space to almost zone out yeah. for a little while. Yeah. And I think that was really important. I think people could see that as unhealthy, but I just think no. like there's so much to absorb here. Yep. And, um, and so I think that was really great. It's, soon as they let us into the house, we knew that we needed to get their blankies because mm -hmm. they were blankie kids when they were little. 
and their iPads and some clothes for them. And so we were really grateful when that step opened up Mm. and um, they had their blankies and their iPads. And what was so interesting that particular day is that those iPads acted like force fields because a lot of people Mm. who were not in our inner circle kept dropping by. And because we were sharing a home, um, the people who were in his parents' inner circle are not necessarily the kids' inner circle. Mm. And I noticed that I remember looking at them and when they were on the iPad, people would leave them alone. And I remember thinking that was such a goodness in itself, which is really strange to say, but it was almost like a force field. that when they picked up the iPad, people just didn't bother them. Um, And I was really grateful for that. Um, But I think there was just a lot of shock that day. And we were trying to deal with the steps of, okay, there's going to be a press release. There's going to be, you know, we need to tell our communities, okay, um, you know, there were so many like practical steps in death that, and in, especially um, because it was a crime, you know, there were just all these steps of that we needed to do as the adults. And there were a lot of adults. So we were all trying to figure out how to do that while getting an influx of the community coming by and needing to also care for them. I think the hardest moment that hit for me was how do I tell my kids? Like Mm. before Kieran and KK came home, um, I knew I needed to tell my daughters and I just remember that being a very, very difficult moment. Like, I don't know the words. Mm. Like, I I don't know how to do any of this. You know, I don't. And um, I kind of, I sat them, we sat them down on our, our bed, the same place that two months ago we had told them that we were, we were pregnant and that we were adding to our family. And here we are, like, subtract, God, you know, God has allowed our family to be subtracted from. And so there were just these really pivotal moments that are locked in my mind of like, I don't know how to do this, but we did it together. Um, I was really curious how we would handle grief together. Um, but I think the the saving thing for us as a whole family was just really allowing space mm. for each other in what grief needed to look like that day. And as a mom and a caretaker, I knew that like the evenings would be the worst, like going to sleep the nights, um, because that's kind of when everything gets real quiet. Mm. Everyone stops coming by. Mm. You aren't on your iPad anymore. And um, I remember thinking like my job, I want it to be putting good thoughts Mm. in their head. And so we pulled out the Chronicles of Narnia Mm. and we just started reading. And I I wept through every every bit. And we um, would put on good music and we would sing them. I would sing them to sleep and um, we'd get out in nature a lot. It was a beautiful October and God was so kind to us that we would just go on walks. Yeah. And so I think I was thinking with all that is inputting in their brains, like my job was like to help find as much goodness and closeness. And so pulling them close and trying to fill all our minds with as much good and hope as we could. And that became kind of my mission for those first days. Yeah, I think, you know, the like you were saying, the iPads are put away and all that stuff. When we're busy and when we're distracted, yeah. it's easy um, for thoughts not to creep in or, yeah. or reactions not to happen. And then when you get that quiet time, yeah, I know her her bedtime routine, putting the kids to bed, was like two hours an evening. Mm. Yeah. So it wasn't like, a, you know, tuck you in really quickly. It was, um, you know, she was going up to put them to bed, and I'm like, I'll see you in a couple hours. Mm. Um, so it, wow. it really was that that time and dedication that you just you put into whatever each kid needed that night. Yeah. Um, and for us, it was, you know, not just 
our, you know, um, not just our niece and nephew at the time, um, but our, our two kids too, um, our two daughters too. So it was um, mm. affecting our whole family mm. wow. even, every evening. And I really did pray, and I really believe God could take away those images that Kieran saw. Um, and so that became my prayer at the beginning, just that it would just, she wouldn't remember. She just wouldn't remember. And I really believe God can do that. Um, yeah. But it took probably, I don't know now, time was such a warp. Isn't that the way it is? Yeah. It's like when you're in like grief and trauma like that, it's like, it feels like a year. It feels like a day. It's so strange. But right, um, right. so somewhere in there, probably a week or two in, they it took they finally opened up with what happened that morning, mm-hmm. and um, and so I do think like there is that idea too that we need to earn the right to to hear. We need to take off our shoes mm-hmm. in people's stories, even in children. Um, mm. And people would say that you know, oh well, good thing kids are resilient, and I felt that was so dismissive. Honestly, mm. and like they they need to choose to move forward just as much as we do to not be wow. stuck in grief, um, and to wrestle with all those feelings and all those questions with God and all those questions with like their own lives and their their own home. You know, mm. they were wrestling with all of that, and so I think God really helped me see them just as people. You know, not as just like children. Like whatever they needed to do for grief was the same as like Ryan and I, like whatever yeah. we needed to do for grief and trying to make space for that and saying, that's okay here. Like if you want to play all day and laugh, there's space for that. Our oldest daughter wanted to go right back to school. And that was hard mm. for me. You know, it was really hard for me, but she was really, she was cared for really well there. The school did an amazing, amazing job. It was a mm. charter school. And um, they had meetings with her, made sure how to support her. They told the students what she wanted Everyone was checking on her, and that was what she wanted to do. She wanted to be doing good. <laughs> and so it was kind of like making space for everyone in there. In there, But I do think like anybody can be resilient, but just because you're a child does not necessarily mean you, you automatically are. I think all the work that they have done, you know, it, it's a great merit to them yeah. of, of like who they are and what they've chosen. Wow. Wow. You, you bring up a really good point, Jesse, the idea that you have to earn the right for someone to be vulnerable with you, whether it's a child or whether it's an adult. Yeah. I think there's, there can be um, times where we almost try to require or demand that people are vulnerable with us if we're going to have r- real true friendship or relationship with them. And the truth is, mm-hmm. is they have, you, have, you have no right to demand that of somebody else. And they have no reason to give that to you unless you've created a safe space for it. And so I think that's important for those of you guys who are listening to this and you're going, how do I help someone in my, in my life, a loved one, a friend, kids, family member, who's going through something really difficult? Well, one of the ways you help is not by demanding that they open up to you, but by, as, as you said, Jesse, taking your shoes off and just, I love that image, like taking your shoes off and just being there with them and earning the right and recognizing it's going to take time. And you don't want them to open up by force. You want them to open up at their own will, by their own volition, because that's where, that's where it's, they're really going to be able to come to a, a place where they're opening these spaces that, um, that the healing salve of the Holy Spirit and, and, and your presence as you're carrying the Holy Spirit into that space, that it's going to be able to help to, to heal 
in the in this. Um, so I love that. I love that. Just that thought. That's a really incredible principle that you have to earn the right for someone to open up and to create space. And I think that's what we're, what we're trying to do right here is encourage people. Hey, create space. Like give yourself permission in those those moments of grief yeah. to feel what you're going to feel and not yeah. not be burdened by the oh you should do this or you you know this is kind of the requirements for grief. There is no parameters around grief. Yeah. They um now that they're 16 and 17 too, they they want to speak about this. Mm. And then so we you know they they've changed a lot over the last five and a half years. And and because the book is about that time period, you know, a lot of people think that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And so we actually started a family podcast so that they mm-hmm. could speak about it, could could say who they are now and, and how they see everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they said, and like what what helped you in grief, you know, what what was it like? It was exactly what you're saying, Davey. It was that peop the people who sat with me. Mm. who were just still, that, that just were with me. And I thought, so even with a child, right, a 10-year-old, um, which takes even almost more discomfort to just sit mm-hmm. and to be still and to be right. available, um, I thought all we can do is be available as an invitation to be like, whatever you need, if you want to talk, if you want to cry, if you want to scream, if you want to laugh. Mm. And um, I noticed in our home that I learned so much from grief from all of our children because they have a very different rhythm of grief than adults do. Um, mm. It's kind of like if in the morning they're crying, they're on their face, I'm stroking their hair. I'm like, in my mind, I think the day's gone. We need to cancel everything. Um, mm. But I noticed that 20 minutes later, it would turn into a pillow fight yeah. and they'd be chasing each other around yeah. laughing and then they'd tell a story and we'd eat breakfast and we'd go on our day. Yeah. And it was such a strange thing because I thought, I think as adults, we feel that would be disingenuous. Like, mm. um, like if, if I were to cry my heart out in front of you and then suddenly be like, you know, towel snap you, you'd be like, um, <laughs> you know, what, what the heck? Um, uh. you know, and, and, but what I noticed is that, you know, life is really made up of those those moments, yeah. and and a lot of times, my daughter, my oldest daughter Katrina, believes that we can't actually have a completely hundred percent bad day. That there's always going to be something. There's going to be wow. something so good, even if mm. it's really small. And so it's actually really funny because we have um, we're almost like sometimes rooting that it'll be a bad day, so we could just really relish in it. You know, like oh, it's we're almost there. It's like I'm going to bed at nine p.m. and we're at seven thirty, and it's been a rotten, horrible day. <laughs> and then that one friend will call, and you're like, damn it, wow. you just you know, like, but it is like this idea <laughs> you that our streak. <laughs> that you ruined my bad day. But it is this idea that um, the rhythm of grief, I think, is actually much more fluid. Then yeah. we, but because we don't, you know, because we know people are watching us and stuff, we we almost don't allow ourselves that. So mm. in our house, because of what they taught us, it was like everybody kind of knew, like if you if you're crying right now, we'll be with you. Mm. But then if you're done, we're done. Like we move on. Or if we're laughing wow. and singing, like that was as welcome as um, the hard stuff. Yeah, I think as adults, wow. we kind of get locked into this. Like this is how. This is the process, right? Mm-hmm. We're sad, we're sad, we're sad. We're less sad, we're less sad, we're less sad. We're okay. And then, you know, down the road, we can be happy again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, almost like we're showing disrespect to the situation if we're happy too soon mm-hmm. or something like that. But one thing that I learned and we learned from our kids was that that grief is not that rhythm. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad, you know, slowly working out of it. It's, it's I'm sad, I'm, I'm having a moment where I'm reminiscing or I'm struggling or whatever. And the next moment can be like, I'm full of joy because right now my life is really good and things that are going on in my life are really good. And that's okay too. You know, it's, it's learning that, that the rhythm doesn't have to be this long drawn out, you know, it's the, the saying, was it a bad day or was it a bad five minutes that ruined your whole day, you know, or mm-hmm. that you let ruin your whole day. And I think kids are really good at just not letting that five minutes ruin their whole day, but, but being present in each moment, you know, whether it's happy or sad or contemplative. Mm. It's so, uh, it's so rich and so insightful. I mean, I, I just, as you were explaining that, I kept thinking about Jesus saying, unless you come to me like one of these, speaking of the children, right? That there's a childlike mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. And there's a childlike faith that gets imposed into the grief process. And I think we can learn so much from what you guys have observed in how your kids and your adopted kids have, have walked in this grief journey. Um, it's so inspiring because, I mean, I just, I feel like what you just shared with us is something that we all really need to wrestle with and understand that it is okay to, in one moment, feel the depths of sorrow and in the next moment feel mm-hmm. this this joy this that doesn't make sense but to have fun and to laugh yeah. and to we don't have to feel guilty about that we're not boxed into a certain way of grieving and and then that helps us to have empathy for others that we we can't superimpose how we would walk through something um onto someone else's life and how they're walking yeah. through something you know there's there's no one right way to walk through grief is something that we, we say often here. Um, there are some wrong ways to walk through it in the sense of, right? Like yeah. you can absolutely right. create a destructive pattern in your life by not leaning into the Lord in these emotions, by trying to find other things to cope with or to numb the pain. But as you're leaning into the Lord and you're experiencing all of these emotions, the the gamut of them, the highs and the lows, man, there is no... Um, one right way to walk through that. And I just think that's so insightful. Thanks for sharing that with us because I think every single one of us need to really think about that in terms of how we're walking through our own. You know, I found in everybody's story, there seems to be some element of forgiveness that also emerges or having to wrestle through that. I'm curious if that's been your experience as well. Is it, is there an element of forgiveness that you guys have had to walk through or you've had to help your kids walk through? Or, and if so, what was what's that been like? Um, yeah, that, that's always a part of like when you, you feel wronged or you've been wronged or, you know, in a, in a terrible situation like this, where you feel like you've been stolen from, um, is that, that realization, um, I think I was really, I think God just really blessed me with having good, having perspective quickly. Um, I don't think it's it's everyone's perspective, and I, I wouldn't 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 put it on everybody. But but I just really realized that you know when the Bible talks about murder, um, and in the New Testament when Jesus is talking about murder, it's like have you hated someone mm-hmm. in your heart? You know, have you you know you're guilty of murder? Right. And that that realization came to me 
early on in the process where I was able to say, like, I'm the same. You know, there's mm-hmm. sameness between me and Danny, you know, my, my brother, my good friend. It's it's we are the same. And, and but for the grace of God, you know, I'm not yeah. the one that is in this situation right now um, or was in that situation then. Um, yeah. And and to be able to accept and realize that for me, um, like I said, it was a it was a blessing that I was able to come to that realization and be able to shift that quickly um, yeah. to that. And I think it allowed me to to be able to come alongside the rest of my family so that I wasn't still struggling with that part of it, mm. um, but to be able to come alongside my family and be there for their support. Mm. Yeah, I never read that verse the same after he said that. Um, we had a community very angry at Danny, and I remember not understanding it um, because um, one of the one of the reasons we wrote the book was because of one particular story. We have a graffiti bridge. It's like a a cement mm. like encased bridge that trains migrate across and cars go under. And it's kind of become a social media platform of graffiti. You know, it's like, mm. um, you know, go Carol if she has cancer or go team or um, we hate Trump, you know, whatever. It's like all over mm. and plastered over. And um, in grief and sorrow, Danny and Rena's names were written beautifully on that mm. bridge. Um, but in the middle of the night, someone would come every night and cross out Danny's name, leaving Rena's. And so in black, they would just spray paint over it. And because I lived with Ryan's parents, um, his mom, Pam, I would catch her because I had morning sickness. I would go in early, try to get some protein. And I would catch her grabbing paint and going and painting his name back in color Mm. every morning. So that when those kids drove under, they would see his name. And I always wondered if people noticed that it was like rotating in color, you know, Um, but the person who had killed her daughter um, was her son. And and that love surpassed wow. everything. And so, I mean, that happened for weeks. It was actually quite torturous. Yeah. And so we don't know who wow. crossed out that name, but on social media, it actually sounded a lot the same. I think people didn't want us to have a, a joint memorial. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't want him to be remembered. And I remember us having a conversation. And I was like, why, why did they think that? Like, they realize he's not here, right? I'm like, he's not here to, you know, reprimand or like make this right. Like his kids are here, we're here. And I remember just being like, what, what is this? And, and Ryan really, I think had, he has a gift of discernment. Mm. And in that moment, he really taught me that they just want justice. Like sometimes we just want justice. We don't want this to happen again. And fear was this zinging. And so how do we, how do we control this? And I think a lot of people just out of a place of of fear and didn't want that to happen again. And they thought if we can make this an example, if we can say we're not going to grieve, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to celebrate him in any way, maybe that will help the next person. And, and so God gave us a lot of empathy to yeah. um, be able to translate what was happening in our community um, and that's really how we started having talks about if we were angry because there was so much anger. Um, our kids have had differing uh, things that they work through, but I don't think anybody holds any anger now. But I mm. think watching Pam's forgiveness 
changed my whole life. Um, Just watching someone love so quietly and so strongly um, in color. And I think it really has taught me a lot about the messages that we sent, the ways that we cross out people's name in color, in black, and then we can write them back in color. And I thought, we don't really have a lot of control over the messages out there and the things that get crossed out and the people who even try to cross us out. Mm. But we have control of what we write and how we paint Mm. names in color. And so I think that's become an anthem of our life is Mm. how do we... How do we even paint Danny and Rena's name in color? Because we're not our worst decision. I think for me, Ryan, Ryan pulled from like God's word in how to forgive and how to find sameness and empathy. For me, it was almost easier, I feel, because I had had a suicidal experience when I was 16. Um, mm. And it was because of a, a sexual abuse situation that had happened and I hadn't told anybody. And so a lot of you know my empathy came from actually being in that position. And I really think that people who are suicidal, which there's so many more than we realize, um, just doing some suicide awareness stuff, I've just been shocked by how many people have been one second away, one day away, one hour away from taking their own life. And you don't know, like you don't realize that they had that. And I was one of those. But so I think from my experience, it's not because you wanna die. It's because you are in, if you picture it like a building, if you picture it a building, like a flame, like you're up stories high and the building is on fire and there's a window and you would never want to jump out that window. You would never look at that window that way. But because everything, the floor, your clothes, everything's on fire, you think that there's relief, you know, that's how I escape this burning life of mine. And so Mm. it's not that I think people are like, they're so selfish to want to die, you know? And I'm like, I think it's just, we're desperate and we're hurting. Mm. And so because I knew that in myself, um, I I could understand some of that mental illness that Mm. would make you think that that's the only way. And, And I would say to anybody listening to this, if you feel like your life is on fire and you're looking at that window, tell someone I didn't tell anyone and I could have been the same um I could have ended up in heaven that day but Mm. what happened was is and and no one would have known why I think that's a really important part because I think a lot of people were like what were the signs and then they started creating signs they're like oh that must have been a sign I saw Rena crying you know weeks ago and that must have been it I mean Mm. everybody started pulling like these symptoms to be the signs. And that was really painful because it's almost like, well, I didn't see any signs and I was in their day-to-day life. I mean, I was, and um, it was very painful that people thought that there should be signs. And even when I wrote my book, my editor said, what were the signs? And so I really mm. had to grapple with that. But I thought sometimes there just aren't signs. And with wow. my own story, I knew that if I had died, no one knew about the abuse that had happened. No one knew about all the things that I was thinking and stuff. And it gave me a lot of comfort that we don't have to know everything. Mm. Um, and and we may never know everything. Yeah. Um, and so trying to say, what is mine? What do I hold? And then what is God's that he holds yeah. was really a place that I could come to peace. And so for me, that empathy carried me through. And I, I don't think I was ever angry, um, but I missed them. And I wish that 
he had stayed. I wish she had stayed. Hey guys, I wanted to share something really cool with you. We've been launching our Pain to Purpose course in churches all over the world now. And it's been amazing to see how people are finding hope and healing in the midst of their trauma through this course being offered at their local church. First of all, I just want to celebrate that. And secondly, I wanted to let you know how you can partner with us to get the course launched at your church too. I know most of you listening to this may not be a pastor or church leader, but chances are, if you're not one, you know one. What you may not know is how overwhelming it can be for pastors to walk so many people through pain and trauma in their church. In fact, most pastors that I speak with on a regular basis feel pretty ill-equipped for the task of helping people navigate the difficult stories and tragedies of their life. And many of their congregants are facing it in overwhelming numbers. What we're passionate about here at Nothing Is Wasted is helping churches feel equipped in engaging pain and trauma, which we know will ultimately lead to transformation and healing for the people in their congregation and for their church as a whole. So if you're a pastor, I want to invite you to join me and our local church director, Ken Roberts, on a Zoom call that we hold twice a month just for pastors and church leaders. If you know a pastor, I'd love for you to get this information into their hands. This interactive Zoom call will give you the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches. And we're going to give you resources and tools that will lighten your load and the load of your church staff. And we'll show you how we'd love to help you as you're helping the people within your congregation heal. Because we're passionate about the same thing that you are. People moving through their pain and stepping into mission in their local church and in your community. If you're not a pastor, why not share this incredible opportunity with your pastor? Let your pastor know about this call so they can learn more about the ways nothing is wasted once to partner with them in bringing hope and healing to your church. So to sign up for the next Zoom call, go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. And there you can choose a date to join us when it's most convenient for you. Now, if you're not a pastor, this link, nothingiswasted.com slash pastors, is an easy one to send to your local church leaders with a note about how Nothing Is Wasted Ministries has personally impacted your own healing journey. Now, as someone who has served as a pastor and as someone who has walked through unimaginable trauma, I know that a key part of revival within the body of Christ is going to come from how we as the church step into the pain and trauma of those who are hurting. Let me help you find a clear, proven path with ready-made tools and resources for your church body. Pastor, I really feel like this Zoom call is exactly what you've been looking for in serving your church more effectively in their pain. Sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors or share that link with your pastor and let's partner with God in helping others move from pain to purpose. It's really amazing how both of you guys coming at it from two different perspectives came to the same place, you know, for you kind of this, in some ways shared experience, Jesse, where you're, you're going, okay, I have some, I have empathy because I I understand in some ways how he felt. And then Ryan, for you to say that, to, to find that sameness, right. In our humanity and saying uh, that the sin that existed in him that resulted in this is the same sin that exists in me. It it exists in all of us. And I mean, that's the the parable of the unmerciful servant is a perfect example of someone who didn't recognize that sameness. And I think that is a huge part of, 
um, beginning to understand how to release that bitterness, to come to peace with things, especially when you felt like that there has been some kind of perpetration against you um, and against people that you love. And it's a, it is a beautiful thing the way that you guys have each approached that. Uh, you know, Jesse, I was going to ask you guys, what was the inspiration behind your book? But what an amazing, beautiful picture of what it looks like to, um, not from a spinster perspective, not from a PR perspective, but from an absolutely true kingdom perspective to say, you're not defined by the last or worst decision that you've ever made. That Jesus has never looked at us in those moments and defined us in that way. But we can, not only can we write our, right over the, 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 the blight of our lives and our stories with color by the cross and the empty tomb, but we can also be that for other people as well. And um, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing picture of you guys just being people that embody the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is all about as agents of reconciliation, where we go, you know what? I understand you want justice. I understand that you want, we all are wired with that. That's part of the Imago day. But at the end of the day, like justice is in God's hands and we can, we can be at peace with that. Yeah. 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 That's it. You know, there's some, there's some things that we don't, we don't, we don't get to talk about a whole lot that I'd love to, I'd love for you guys to share. And this kind of pivots a little bit, but you know, this was obviously something that was melded very much into your own personal grief. And while you're grieving, you're helping these kids to grieve. You're helping to sort through so many different things. You've got this this outfacing community that is also affected by this. And so you're in some ways trying to get ahead of the story from a from a media perspective. You're trying to help, you know, guard and protect these kids as well as you're guarding and protecting your friends that you've just lost. And you're trying to help people see Jesus. I can very much relate to that, but also at the same time, there's just some administrative things that had to take place. And we often tell people, Hey, when you've lost someone that you loved, maybe, you know, take a break from making some really big decisions. You guys didn't have that luxury. You had to make some really big decisions. You had to go through several different administrative, legal proceedings, like all kinds of stuff that were coming at you at once. Um, talk to me about some of those things, like help to shed some light on that for those who are listening so we can understand the full picture of what kinds of decisions you guys had to make. And then maybe in that, help us understand how you made those decisions. You know, How do you walk about making huge decisions in the midst of grief, but still be wise about it? We, um, you know, we had a good community. We had a good tribe around us. So, you know, uh, definitely a blessing for that. We, you know, it's the it's the trying to get into their you know their banks to see what they you know their bills are, their their assets are, all of that stuff. Trying to um, communicate like with the funeral home because you can't do a lot of things until you have a death certificate, mm-hmm. and so um, trying to get a hold of that and and have lots of copies so that you could send it off to you know credit cards and. And landlords and all of those things, um, you know, it, the I think the the trap could have been easily just to try and take it on by ourselves um, mm. and not ask for help or lean on help. Or some of this wasn't even put on our plate because of the the people that were around us. They they just took it. Mm. Um, we didn't even have to make some of those um, like 
minute-by-minute decisions. We had family meetings where we talked about a lot of this stuff, um, you know, moving forward. Yeah. And then, um, you know, then it's, okay, the kids, you know, because of our community being small, we probably, you know, the kids never had to go, like, into foster care temporarily or whatever. They were in the care of family. And so our county was really happy with that. And then making that official, um, you know, trying to work out through the through the court process. And we were um, very, very blessed again um, by our community just encircling us and having a lawyer saying, um, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this paperwork for you and, and make it happen. Um, so we didn't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, finding finding a good tribe and, and reaching out, because I think mm-hmm. that is one of the, the things that that. You know, when you're struggling, whether it's, you know, with the thoughts of suicide or, or just in your day-to-day life, it's, it's we get very proud. Uh, yeah. We decide that, that we can handle it or we don't want to burden someone else. Um, but being able to reach out and say, hey, we need help with this or, mm. um, you know, this is where, this is not my expertise, you know, but this is yours. Could you, you know, maybe help me with this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think for me, it was just choosing what was most important that day. Yeah. Mm. Um, and for for me, you know, um, caring for children was definitely, mm. I felt what God wanted me to do first. And so, mm. and then Ryan, we were also building our house at that time. So Ryan's would go to work in the day and then he would go work on the house until Man. he would almost drop. And um, like he said, we he had a best friend come every night and be with him. Mm. And so sometimes just people can come and just be with you and that would keep him working, you know? Um, And so every night someone would be with him. And then um, for me, people would offer to take the kids for some hours and I I didn't feel that that was what they needed. I felt they needed to be close, you know? Mm. And so, um, you know, I think the boundaries of that were the first thing. Um, And it's true. There's kind of like, there's a waiting period. You, you, I would say to anybody who does a will, like put all your passwords in the will. That was very frustrating to the kids that they no longer could get into any of their accounts. Um, There was a lot of like moments Mm. of grief in like, we have to wipe your yeah, your, your Peter, iPad. Yeah, you know, we can't get into your game because into we don't it. know the password. Right. Um, there were so many moments of grief like that, mm-hmm. and then um, a lot of things you can't do until you get death certificates. So you can't see what's in their bank. Get you know, and um, so I think that really comes down to those hard decisions of you know yeah. planning. Like if you had an executor, mm-hmm. things can go a lot quicker. Um, I think if if there's a legal legal paperwork yeah. there and. They we couldn't find their will. We do know they made one, but we never found it. And so, mm. to make sure you have copies of that, I mean, they're kind of all the conversations you don't want to have. But right. I think what becomes so burdensome and makes those decisions a lot harder is because you have to kind of fight to mm. even get the information um, and prove that they no longer can do that. And so, there was a lot of stress in that. From taxes to bills to paying for a dance studio to paying, like figuring out how to move their stuff out of the condo. I mean, and so I think it's kind of making a list of what do I need to do Mm. that needs my touch, that needs me. And then what are the things, anything else, like you pray that God will bring people to help to divvy that out, you know, like if, like helping move their stuff out into storage units was something that. 
some a dear friend of mine took on. It was a huge mm. job, and I, I'll never stop being thankful for people who did things like that. But then there were other things where it it needed to be me, you know. Yeah. Um, and so right. I think just kind of sifting that in your mind really helps. But there is a huge decision fatigue that happens in grief. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and like my mind would stop, kind of almost working. <laughs> like I felt yep. like yep. I couldn't actually make decision of what I wanted to eat at night, mm, you know, like I couldn't right. figure out like those steps. And yeah. I thought that is a real part of grief that we don't talk about very much. Right. Yeah. No, no, uh, no food in the kitchen, only ingredients. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> if yep. there were just ingredients, yep. I almost would, I, but I was pregnant. So I was trying to eat, but, um, and then a lot of people brought food. I think that was, you know, so many casseroles, <laughs> so mm. many casseroles, but the problem was, is that all kind of started rotting at some point. So I think, right. um, I think even just being able to have a grief point person would have been really good to have someone yeah. say, call them and they'll talk to us yeah. and we could say the fridge needs to be cleaned out and someone can come clean out the fridge without me having to entertain them, interact or like, you know, talk about yeah. this hard thing right now. Um, and so I would say if like we were, you know, as we're learning more, I thought, yeah. wow, a, a grief point person should be yeah. like a wedding coordinator. It should be like wow. a thing that we all do, like who's going to be wow. the grief point person. <laughs> and then they can field all that emotion, like as a filter between the the most impacted and, and the That's community. Great. Yeah. And maybe even just trying to find that person, you know, someone in your inner circle that yep. you already trust. I mean, it, it, it can't be just like, I looked them up in the yellow pages. That just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not the because, same as a wedding coordinator. Because, because grief is just so much more yeah. complicated and hard and right. Right. being able to empathize and know, like know you and know, you know, where you're at. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And, and being able to set up things, you know, because our community was, it's like, how can we help? Well, food. Yeah. Well, if you get 20 casseroles in one True. day, yeah. you know, that works good for about four days. And then, yeah. yeah, then you just have way too much, you know, sitting there. And, you know, if you had someone coordinating, they could set up, you know, a meal train or whatever. Right, right. Would, would take care of those immediate needs. Um, yeah. You know, when decision fatigue is hard, it's like, oh, I don't have to decide dinner tonight. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and it's even, a real blessing when people took care of people who were taking care of us. Um, mm -hmm. Because I do notice, and I mean, I see it all the time, and I'm sure I'm, I've done it. But it's almost like the person visiting you really needs it for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, because they're hurting. And so to see you and do something yeah. good would be, a you know, like kind to themselves to be like. And so sometimes people stay a bit too long. I'm mm -hmm. sure you've, you've experienced that. Or they... Yeah they kind of drape on you with like a really way too long hug or something. And so I think really like if you don't know the directly impacted, maybe just looking around going like, but I know their best friend mm. and I could take care of that best friend. And then they could pour in, you know, I bring them dinner and they go over and, you know, and so I think it's kind of like this idea of like, if you can't, not everybody can pour into yeah. like the same people on the same day, honestly. And then to know that, I have found that grief often takes a deep dive after the memorial. Mm -hmm. It's almost like there's so yeah. much going on yeah. to plan and to put that on. And so I think in your mind to think, okay, I'll be second wave, mm -hmm. you know, I'll be second wave. I'll bring right. meals in at week three when things really, really start to feel empty That's right. and hollow and lonely. And so I, that's, those are the things I would say. That's great. That's so good. Uh, Jesse, you've written this incredible book. It's a memoir called We Wrote Your Name in Color. And we're going to make sure that everybody can um, 
access that pretty easily right there on the show notes, also on the podcast page there on the website. I'm, I'm curious though, for each of you guys, as we close the conversation down, um, what, what is, and this, you know, this is a pretty general question, but when you go through something like this, there's, there's no way that you don't, um, actually, Jesse, I think you asked me this question when I was on your podcast, maybe I'm mistaken or not, but you know, and I remember that's a lot. We could sit and talk about this for hours, but I'm curious what, what is something yeah. really significant that, that the Lord has taught you about himself in this whole process? I think for me, it's witness. <laughs> it's w- mm. him being with us. Um, that Emmanuel side of God. Um, mm. I think there's just so much I don't know. Um, and sometimes we need, you know, you and I have talked about this, Davey, that we just need to lay down what we don't know and the what ifs and the, um, and so I thought what I have learned of God is that, and really of Jesus is that he will walk with me. Mm. Um, and so I, I think like, if, if you don't know Jesus, I'm like, all it takes is just, just asking him. And um, if you do, just like waiting on him to kind of grab your hand and walk with you. Um, And I I just, I can feel how shallow that sounds, but it's Mm. just so, so I can feel how deep that is Mm. in me in the moments that I've walked. Um, Because I think there's certain pains that no one's going to be able to carry with you. Right. Like even as we are, Ryan and I are so close, but there's just some things that we can't, touch in each other and we can't soothe in each other and we can't um heal and and um so to know like that god is a god who weeps with us who Mm. hears us and and who really is a comfort Mm. um i think that that all sounds like like ideology you know (laughs) until until you really you you really touch it and Mm -hmm. yeah until it's really the only thing that can be a salve on those deepest wounds. And so I think the thing that I struggle with is like not knowing so much, you know, Mm -hmm. not knowing so much, but I thought there is one thing I know and that he, he will walk Mm. with you. Wow. So good. Uh, I I like her answer. I should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I think that um, it is, it's, it's, that leap of faith that you can't grasp until you actually leap. You know, you don't mm. understand it. Um, you can have the head knowledge, but the heart knowledge doesn't doesn't uh, become real until you're, you know, you're flying in the air and you're like, well, I have, you know, nothing to save me except for you. Yeah. And so I think that um, being able to lean into that may be the, the greatest gift from this whole situation, you know, is, is being able to understand and grasp that, you know, with both hands, um, which is, you know, it, it, it sucks that it's a terrible situation that makes these right. things available to us. Right. Um, but it is, you know, one of the, the blessings that comes out of it for sure mm. that you, you know, you have that opportunity to, to grab on with both hands and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm here for the ride. You know, I know you'll take care of me. Yeah. And then looking back in hindsight, which is always the you know the best way to find out how dumb you were or how smart you were, 
is that that he was there walking and holding mm. us the whole time, you know, through that whole process. And so the the you know the retrospect of all of that is really I think where the biggest blessing from that comes. Mm. I can I add on yes, there too. Please do. I think um, I think about the Israelites in the wilderness. And just, they just keep thinking they're going to die. And I think that was me. I just thought, mm. I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not going to make it through this day. I'm not going to make it through this grief. I'm not going to make it through this conversation. And um, and I just think, like, how he started supplying them with manna. Mm. Like, there was always enough for that day. And, and so, that became my prayer. Mm. It's like, I just need today. Yeah. I just need today. And... Um, I think like, and nothing would keep until tomorrow. It's like, I would run out of strength just in time, you know? Um, and so I think like anybody who is walking through something really difficult, um, just, just ask for that manna, just Mm -hmm. ask for that manna and have the, just try to have the faith to say, you'll give me what I need today. Mm -hmm. And I don't have what I need for tomorrow. I don't have what I need for that other person's story because sometimes people, I know this happens to you all the time, Davey, they're like, well, I'm not like you or that yeah. this didn't happen like you. I'm like, no, because you're not me. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you know, like God will, does not supply us with what we need That's until right. it's time. So to look into someone else's story or to look into the future that you're not there yet, you don't yeah. have the tools that you need. You don't have the manna that you're going to be supplied That's with. Right. And so I think just just for anybody, um, and I still I still think that some days now. There's that really hard day or I'm in the middle of something, I think, I'm gonna run out of strength, I'm gonna run out of energy, I'm gonna run out of words, I'm whatever it is. Um, and and I'm like, but you mm. are the daily bread and you'll give me just what I need. That's so that that would be my thing to anyone, and a day is enough. Mm. A day is enough. Just look at that day. That's what's so beautiful. I think we get so much encouragement from other people's stories. I mean, I've gotten so much encouragement from your story. And yet I I don't, I can't understand how exactly you're feeling in this because I haven't walked through it. And I think what's beautiful about God is, you know, he even said, I am. So I that means I am going to be everything that you need in that moment. You can just trust me, as you've said, Jesse, with your with your manna, with your daily bread. I can be trusted with this. And um, there's just a level of peace that we can walk with in that. And there's, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to know, no matter what I go through, no matter how horrific it might be, God's going to be there with me. He promises that. And he's going to be my supply. He's going to be exactly what I need in those moments. And so guys, we're so grateful that you would take some time to share with us in this and share so vulnerably. Um, Jesse, you guys have started a podcast it's called the Molden Cast Podcast, right? And uh, you have a lot of great yeah. interviews with your friends, family members. Um, I've even seen just some interviews with some of the kids to see how they're processing through this, which I just think is so yeah. great that you're getting them to talk about this and they're processing it out loud and they're getting an opportunity to minister to people who are listening even through their own grief. Um, so we want to make sure that folks tune into that podcast and then we also want to make sure that they pick up we wrote your name in color. And so we'll put links right there. Very easy for you guys to access. If you're listening to this, you're watching it on YouTube. Uh, but guys, thanks so much for joining us. How else can we follow along your in your journey? Oh, well, her social media. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram. You can find me. You can reach out to me. But yeah, That's thank awesome. you, Davey, for having us on. This has been so meaningful, so special. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank really you appreciate guys. it. Really appreciate the work that you're doing, trying to create space for all of that. Oh man! Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, what's interesting about them is, and I got this impression the first moment I had a conversation with um, with Jesse. It was like, if you didn't know, like you would have no idea that she'd walked through this. I mean, mm. just bright, yes. cheery, hopeful, yes. right, glass half full kind of person. Yeah. And you just see the love of Jesus all over her. Mm. And, uh, mm. and I'm like, man the stuff that you guys have walked through, like mm. you would think that you would be downcast, forlorn, but no, she just radiates. There is something about, Hope. and our, our friend here at Nothing Is Wasted, Ken Roberts talks about this. Like there is something about how people who have been through the wilderness, the cave, the whatever dark night of the soul, whatever language you want to use, where like God does emptying, but then God does it exchange of like refilling yeah and yeah. those people like i would i would rather sit under somebody who has known deep deep pain yeah but has like earned the gravitas and the resilience because i know there is some, like the spirit of god has filled them and empowered them in a unique right. mysterious way right a right. beautiful way and so it is I mean, it's like not what you totally expect which means it must be from god but you're totally right like there is something about her her countenance and her joy that you're like only, yep. this is only a filling of the spirit only of God right here. F- that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we work with so many people who have found themselves in the dark night of the soul. You're listening yeah. to this, you're watching this, you found yourself in that. Yeah. And I see a convergence happen in their lives where mm-hmm. either they stay there, they get stuck. They're yeah. like, they kind of hit that bottom and they stay in that bottom. Yeah. Or there is at this, what, for, for whatever reason, and and sometimes, you know, sometimes there's not really a formula for this by any means, but they're they're positioned to receive mm-hmm. this filling of the Holy Spirit and this kind of yes. bounce back totally. in a lot of ways. And that sounds very trite to say it that way, a bounce back. But mm-hmm. that's all I saw in my head was this graph of like getting sucked into this vortex, but then this like amazing kind of bounce mm-hmm. back where you see even more of the joy of the Lord on their yeah, face it's so than true. prior to that. It's so true. And yeah. sometimes I have trouble placing what that is. I mean, mm-hmm. even though we built an entire framework with pain to purpose right. and to try to help you, <laughs> sometimes I have right. trouble. I'm like, there's an element of this that is the mystery that like, where you really are only going to receive, it's a grace a that grace. is given That's to you. That's what I was just thinking. It's grace. It's yeah. not like you can't force it or str- like, yeah. It, there's just like a, there's like a, all right, Lord, I'm going to let you take me on this mm-hmm. journey all the way, all the way to the bottom. Yes. All the way back to the top. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, an image that comes to mind is, do you remember those, when you were a kid in like elementary school and all the other kids would sit around in a circle and you'd hold that parachute and you would just like throw those oh, balls yeah. in the air. <laughs> like if you like multiply that, yep, how like yep. deep and low it could yeah, go, right? But then right. flipping it up and- And they can- yep. Yeah, there is something about like, you get as low as you can in that dark place and then God, yeah. I don't I don't know. It, it's Man. a mystery, but it's the grace of God. They certainly have um, out of their own pain and misery, um, 
in that picture of like the grace and the gravitas poured that out into the kids that they are yeah. taking care of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which what a, an amazing noble thing and a really heavy endeavor. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, as you talk to them, they're like, well, what, what else? I mean, what else are you going to do? do right? Right. Of course we would do this. Why right. wouldn't, you know, who else is going to take this responsibility? So it wasn't even mm-hmm. a second thought to them, mm-hmm. but you know, I just had a conversation this morning with a guy who, um, they, they adopted, uh, kids and, you know, now they're years after their adoption, they've experienced in these kids that, that they adopted, they had so much trauma mm-hmm. that early on, I mean, even at the age of seven, they began trying to do everything they can to look at pornography. They're looking wow. at everything they can to, wow. you know, and, and so there's like been this buildup over years and years, no matter how loving of a home this is, um, that, that, my friend creates for them. Yeah. They've seen this, uh, this, you know, um, deterioration Mm. because of the trauma in this now 15 year old boy's life. Mm. And it has gotten so bad that they're Mm. trying to figure out like, how do we do, we need to do like an outpatient kind of thing. Wow. Wow. There's been the law involved with it. So it's just a very different, you don't, my point is when I told him, I was like, you know, when you look at these noble endeavors to in- adopt someone out of trauma, you you go, we're going to be kind of the, the savior of this, <laughs> yeah, of this young person's life. We're right. going to be right, but nobody tells you about like how difficult that road's going to be, yeah, and that you might not even see the mm-hmm. redemption mm-hmm. on this side of things, yeah, right. Yeah, I, that's so true. Like, I have a very good friend who adopted a, a young boy when he was, I guess, four. And he's now, I think, 20. And their journey has been so, so painful to the point where a couple of years ago, she just had to release him. Like, he wanted to be on his own. He wanted to do his, his own thing. It wasn't good. wasn't following Jesus. was dark and scary. And she just had to go, okay, I release yeah. you. And, yeah. I mean, I you know, I— there are stories of people who, I think this is horrible, but I don't want to be judgmental because of what you're talking about. Stories of people who've said this was a mistake and have yeah. tried to, uh, quote unquote, return a child they've adopted, which yeah. is, I mean, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But yeah. all that to say, what a, you're right, that I think we go into this concept of adoption with like, I'm going to be the savior and it's going to be beautiful. And it is. It is. It's a. It's an unbelievable, I don't think there's, another type of journey that we can step into that mm. rivals what we experience in terms right. of God adopting us into That's sonship right. and daughtership, right? That's right. It gives us an unbelievable picture of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, oh my goodness, yeah. especially dr- adopting out of trauma, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of preparation for that. Mm, so hard. And, yeah, so you know, hard. it's it's your empathy meter goes way up when you are you're when you're in that and when you have experienced that and you're surround surrounded by other people who are in it and that's why i think like you know probably aubrey if you had said yeah some friends of ours adopted and they had to quote unquote give that child back mm-hmm. prior to having walked with some families who were wrestling with that stuff yeah. i would have i would have looked at that probably in a very judgmental way same totally and i think there's a lot of people just to be frank cuz i have these conversations with people who are wrestling with these very things mm-hmm. and they're hearing voices from outside of their situation mm-hmm. who are criticizing them judging them mm-hmm. and they're going you have no idea like you have no idea the 
Yeah. Just the lack of safety that we feel in certain mm-hmm. situations that we're and you know, of course, you know, we didn't we, we weren't hearing this from Jesse and Ryan by any means, but yeah. this just kind of this in compilation with the the conversation I had earlier this morning, it's like you you just don't know what other people are going through. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that, you know, first of all, if someone in your life who's has taken on that kind of endeavor, that what a noble thing to say, you know what? Yes. I'm going to step up for somebody right, in this life. Right, right, Then all, like we should be nothing but supportive. Supportive. That's what I was just thinking. Like I'm even like going through people, like moms in my mind who've adopted. Am I supporting them enough? Am I supporting? Yeah. Like that should be a call to all of us. How can we support yeah. the families that have adopted? Yeah, right. fostered. Right. And especially out of trauma, especially yeah. out of trauma. Yeah. It's, a, it's very amazing to me, Aubrey, how trauma affects the more and more that we get in, how trauma affects at an early age kid's mm, lives. Know. You know, we've been on this journey. Um, we've been on a journey with Weston and mm. and it was things that we didn't even know Maybe. would affect him that is Maybe. affecting him, you know, wow. and it's been an incredible thing to see what God's doing to, you know, as he's learning to grieve in his own time, mm-hmm. he's about to be nine at the time of this recording. And so unbelievable. he's learning to grieve in certain spaces and phases, but, mm. you know, just a really cool thing. Um, and I don't think he or Christy or anybody would mind me sharing this. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a, uh, a, a conference um, down in Miami and they, there was a kid's conference that was a part of this. And he went to this kid's conference Saturday night of that kid's conference. He gave his life to the Lord. <gasps> So he prays to receive Christ. We're in the car. We pick That's him up. Amazing. We take him right. And it was, you know, up to this point, we're just, you know, like we're we're trying to walk with a kid who lost his yeah. mom at 15 months old. And yeah. we're trying, and you see the critical zero to three mm-hmm. when, you know, that is just a pivotal time for stability and, um, you know, rhythms in life and all that. Yeah. And so we're learning this as we're, as we're consulting other um, therapists and doctors and trying to figure out how do we help him to just yeah. thrive through all this. Well, he gives his life to the Lord this Saturday night. Huh. I'm asking him questions on the, the drive home, trying to see, you know, you don't... I, I know what you're going to... Yeah. You know, you're, he's, he's eight. I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was yeah. eight years old. Yeah, so I, like I, you want to believe But I want to make it. sure... Right, I want right. to know it's genuine from him. <laughs> like, so I'm asking him questions yeah. like, well, did you, did you get emotional? Did mm-hmm. you... Like, what kinds of responses? Not mm-hmm. that emotion is necessarily evidence of it, right. but I'm just trying to see what kinds of... How yeah. did you... How did you what feel about there? this? How did you yeah. respond? What, what? And he was like, no, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we get back to the hotel room. Christy's putting Cohen to bed. And Weston comes up to me. He goes, daddy, I did get emotional. I didn't, I, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you. Aww. And I'm like, well, what, what was it about? He said, well, the guy who prayed with me to receive Christ after he said, what else can I pray for you about? And he said, immediately, I thought about my family and I thought about mommy Amanda. No, and he, he couldn't didn't. even get this out of his mouth. And he starts Davey. just weeping, Aubrey, weeping. Oh, Davey. Oh. And so all of, this is the first time he's done this, like where he's really just had this like huge release. emotional release. And I just grab him and hold I felt, it felt like for 15 minutes I'm just holding him. Mm. And he's crying and crying mm. and crying. Mm. And he doesn't know how to put words to, you of know, course. so there wasn't yeah. a whole lot of conversation there. Yeah. It was just, and there didn't need to be. Right. That's what I was just thinking. Oh. But what I, you know, my point is, is that, you know, oh. here's a kid who at 15 months old lost his mom in such a, a violent and, <sighs> and horrific way. Yeah. He, he, he didn't experience it. You know, he didn't experience it firsthand in a cognitive way yes. the way that these right. kids that, right. that Jesse and Ryan adopted. But it, it it's held on in his body. Mm-hmm. It is held on to, and he is experiencing it 
in new waves as he's mm-hmm. grappling with the reality mm-hmm. of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so all that is to say is, wow. I think we underestimate how much of an impact trauma has on kids especially. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Because I think we think they forget. They don't remember. They forget. Like I hear yeah, that a lot. Be fine. They don't remember when they their mom- They don't remember that. They don't, they don't remember when their yeah. mom was an alcoholic abusing them because yeah. they were only- well, just like you just said, the body keeps the score. Right. The heart keeps the score. The right. soul keeps the score. And I do think the kindness of God is that he like allows little ones to remember as they're able to. But the hard part is when some of that stuff goes unaddressed because we just, as adults, yeah. assume they're fine. Oh, they right. don't remember. They don't, yep. you know. And there, I mean, you know, there's research on this, right? There's even like birth in the womb trauma the womb. Yeah. Yeah. that the Lord has to uh, right meet and and heal and we have yeah. to be aware of that as like caretakers in precious little one's lives. If if I'm going to turn this into a little bit of a prophetic instructive kind of thing, mm. I know I just told a story. I would say this. Um there's no reason for us to like put or presuppose trauma on somebody, right? No no Amen. reason to create yes. that or yes. you know like oh well, you know, we got to Right. But I also would say there's probably someone who's going like they're fine, they're fine. Mm. I would really I would do the hard work now early on mm. and dig in. Mm. Um, you know, there are many, in many cases, I wish that we had had a little bit more understanding of what to do with Weston, you know, at three years old, four years old. Wow. He's an incredible, wow. I mean, he's thriving. He's great. Like he's yeah. incredible. Right. But there are just things where I'm like, oh man, if we had kind of addressed this a little bit earlier, mm. he think about how much better he could be. And mm. then I hear stories of friends of mine who, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to. And so now you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And the decisions they're making at that scale, when they saw it back when they were three or four years old, it is now just exacerbated. And so early on, early on, early on, maybe that's just a prophetic instructive word for somebody who's listening to this. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, um, one of the things that we're so passionate here about Nothing Is Wasted is these stories, these conversations, and really an empowering you, equipping you um, with all kinds of resources to help you walk through your pain story. And because of that, we'd love to invite you to go to our community platform, Mm. uh, check it out, our community plus platform. Uh, We've got, I mean, we've got coaching, we've got mini courses, we've got content, we've uh, people to walk beside you in, you know, that are also walking with kids in their own grief. We'd love to invite you to go to nothingiswasted.com slash community to find out more about all we have to offer for you here at Nothing Is Wasted. That's right. And uh, we want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download his music anywhere music can be downloaded or streamed if you want to stream it. I don't know if anybody yeah. downloads music anymore. I think good good point. Good point. Download me? Do you remember back in the day when you would download yes. from Napster or from LimeWire and you would make your You'd make your own CD, like, like yeah, your, your own like playlist. I then, remember, Davey, I'm older than you. <laughs> I remember listening to the radio, waiting for my favorite song to come on and pressing <laughs> play record on my tape. <laughs> come on. Come on. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Oh my Good goodness. Time. So yeah, Good make sure you go and check out Sleeping At Last. You can follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Samp. And uh, next week we have a wonderful conversation with Carrie Garcia. Uh, she actually did a masterclass for us a little while back. So the, those of you guys who attended that masterclass, by the way, our masterclasses, we're starting those back up this fall. 
You can attend those live for free. You can watch all the replays on our Community Plus membership if you want to join Community Plus. Um, and speaking of that, we are in the middle of this Give Hope campaign yes. where we're looking for 200 people who would step up and say, hey, I'll give at least $20 a month or more to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. As a benefit of that, you get access to all the Community Plus. It's awesome. All that content. So if you commit to giving $20 a month or more, you can get access to all the Community Plus stuff. So that means previous masterclasses, live coaching, bonus episodes, mini courses, all the stuff that we have yeah. right there on Community Plus. Um, but in the meantime, uh, until we hear from Carrie Garcia herself next week, go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Carrie Garcia. What wanted to be a little girl that kind of lit a room up like with the light now had begun mm. to be a girl that wanted to light the world on fire. I wanted to burn it down. And I just mm. like this, this angst between performance and truth and reality got so much that I just didn't know what to do with it. And I just numbed. So for 10 years of my life, I was addicted to meth, um, rode that rode that train until I was like, I'm either going to die or get better. And here's where it gets really confusing for a lot of people because I got off drugs, right? The behavior ended. The problem was I jumped right into ministry because I, that's what I saw as this will save me. Ministry will save me. And really I went from addiction to drugs to addiction to performance and applause in ministry. 